Guys, it's always a great episode when you got the likes of the guests that we have on today. Jessica Trengove is what I still call her because it's a terrible habit, and I forget that she's been married now for a couple of years. Jessica Stenson is a new name. She's an Aussie marathon runner, 225 runner, two-time Olympian, two-times Commonwealth Games bronze medalist, just a superstar of a human. She's my good mate. We actually kickstarted our, well, we didn't quite kickstart our international careers together because to say that I kickstarted mine would be a bit of a lie. I kickstarted and also ended my international career on the same trip, which, which served as the launching pad to the rest of Jesse's international career. Uh, we've been lining up this podcast for a little while now, and uh, it was a really good opportunity just to sit down and have a chat. Man, she's a talented woman. I've never seen someone manage a baby on her lap so well through a podcast. There's a couple of little uh interruptions of the great man Billy Stenson in the podcast where he decides to whack Jess in the side of the head with a potato masher. So I'm sure you'll see him a couple of times, but it was her multitasking skills were a lot better than mine. So this was a really good chat. The original plan was Jess was going to um, throw a few questions at me, ask me about my running career, ask me about sort of my journey to where I am now, which we do get to a little bit in a bit more depth than what we've had in the past, but it just turns into a good conversation about, you know, running and psychology and a whole heap of other stuff, um, how she's managed mum life with her running and yeah, really enjoyable episode. So um, if you know any mums or if you know any athletes who are pregnant looking for a little bit of a insight into how to manage the whole workload, this is a good episode for them. So make sure you share it with them. Um, wanted to let you know as well, guys, obviously big focus on the distance running scene, but with my love for AFL, something I don't talk about a lot here is the fact that we have a, a relaxed running membership for AFL players, which is pretty relevant right about now because pre-season for a lot of clubs is at least in the, the foundation phase of getting ready. So uh, if you want to jump on board there, we've got two programs, which is the individual program, 55 bucks a year or the program for every player in your club, every coach in your club, which is $7.95 for the whole setup. That training program runs from November all through the season. There's three phases in the preseason program, um, which goes right into depth, and uh, they're suited to men, women, players of all positions, players of all fitness levels. There's something there for them. So if you want to check that out, it's at relaxrunning.com, um, and just click the AFL running segment. Also a reminder, and pretty right timing considering that the lady herself is on the show, that Jess's company, Rundy's Undies Athletic Underwear, is a sponsor of the show. Uh, all listeners can get 25% off any product that they have on their website by on checkout, just entering the coupon code RELAXEDRUNNING25. So it's Relaxed Running. that's all in capitals, 2-5. So make the most of that 25% discount. Guys, I'm going to get out of your way. I really hope you enjoy this episode. It was a great chat with a good friend of mine. Hey, hey. Oh, the little man. That's Tyson. Oh, he's so big now. I know. Oh, my God. It's, it's crazy seeing your pictures of little Charlie. Like, just, yeah, Billy's, what, 10 kilos now. and Oh, my um, gosh. Doing things like like copying you when you clap. And you know when you drink and you go, ah, afterwards? <laughs> he copies that now. Last night he just started going, 
after oh. he had he looks like he, he just looks like he's a, a little boy now do you know what i mean he's got a cool haircut too has he or is that just a natural fade uh it's it's all natural that is awesome <laughs> sweep it across to the side <laughs> i can't believe how big he looks he would be able to beat little charlie up in a fight easily yeah, at this point probably <laughs> just have to sit on him. But and he's got four like powerful, um, sharp teeth as well. He's got some good, uh, got some good body mass on time. him. What was that? He's got some good body mass on him. It's amazing just looking at the size. Of, Charlie looks like a little stick figure. I'm going to have to start feeding him more. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh man, what a little champion! That's so weird that um. So that was in, I think, was that December or January that we sat down and he was? Um, uh, that was in January. So he January. was born on the 2nd of November and we Gee. caught up in Karakalinga when I was just getting back into running training with the squad. So it was, yeah, mid-January. That's right, man. If I can get Charlie to sit on my lap that well in a few months' time, I'll be so <laughs> impressed. It's so funny. My like my one handyman skill as a dad right now is just taking him out for a walk and then coming home and giving him to to Jess. It's got hey babe. Like, I think I've done my part, have oh, I? <laughs> how nice are those pram walks early on though? Just watching them, thinking that how, that's like part of me in there. It's just yeah. <laughs> See, I've had so many of those moments lately. I thought I'll be the coolest dad. I'll just be so like I'll be really good at just playing it cool and uh, and it's so embarrassing. Like I've had to try so hard not to keep posting to Instagram because I'm like, oh no, I'm one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm loving your photo updates. Oh. How's Jessie going? Yeah, she's good. But it's funny you said that you're waiting for Dylan to get home uh, to look after to look after Billy because Jessie's right now. So you've obviously never been to our place, but this is our place. This is our whole house, and that that room up the other side is our bedroom. Oh wow! So, okay. so whenever I do a <laughs> yeah, podcast, I lock her in that. Um, I lock her in. cupboard. <laughs> yeah. The washing machine. <laughs> yeah, so, so we got the laundry there, and then just behind that is um is our room. So I always say, babe, like I got a podcast tonight. Can I just lock you in there and just do your best to keep little Charlie boy under control? Oh, <laughs> oh man, we'll see how we go. I'll become the the king of editing. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. Well, Dylan, um wasn't able to train in his lunch break today. So he's um, training after work, which means that Billy's going to feature on the podcast too tonight. What a little champion. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, can you can you hear Charlie in the background right now? He's just piped up a little bit, but I reckon with a bit of background editing, I'll be able to reduce that noise well and truly. I can't hear him. No. <laughs> yeah, good. That's always a good sign because I feel like I'm so um like in my house because we're in an apartment block there's so many little noises that go on. Like there's a main road just outside. Every now and then they do these fire drills. We just like random alarms go off and they're like, it's just a drill. Um, and then now we've got old mate in there just piping up every 10 minutes. So I'm going to have to get a studio. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's a great feature of your podcast, just the little interjections of like one day it was someone, they were having a barbecue outside or something and someone was coming in and turning the tap on. I loved it. It was so embarrassing, and it's funny as well because um, I used, it used to really stress me out. Like, I used to hate it when people interrupted it, and now, like, whenever I listen to a podcast, I always find it a little bit interesting when something goes wrong. So I'm just like, mate, like, just hey, welcome, welcome. You and your Indian family can come on through. <laughs> oh man, hey, um, I know you said you'll interview me, but uh, if we'll just have a, we'll just make it a conversation if you want. Like, don't feel like yeah, you have to carry it away or whatever. I hate that feeling of being like, um, oh crap, like, what am I? Mind you, you're a natural. You'll probably nail it. Well, one thing that I guess I've been thinking about listening to your episodes, which I love. I get so excited when a new episode drops for my uh, morning <laughs> run. But um, 
you know, you, you sort of generally start by asking someone about how they got into running and, you know, what their PBs are and whatnot. And, like, I, I don't know your PBs and how you got into running. So I thought this could be a good opportunity to kind of ask you a few of those questions too. Yeah, that, that's good. It's funny actually because um, I've been out of the sport now for a few years. So I reckon, like, I wonder how many people who actually listen to it know much about like my running here because it's weird like for a running podcast I've always got runners who are way better than I ever was like yourself on here so it's more interesting to talk to you about your running in my opinion um but I don't know anyone's running story is just fascinating and I also love finding out I guess why people started but then why they also um continue to run and I listened to your podcast uh with Dave McNeil and Bert um earlier this and you were chatting about, I guess, the mental benefits and how Jesse can pick when you haven't been for your run and sends you out the door to improve your mood. <laughs> so that's obviously a big part of it now. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to maybe start by going into a little bit of your history with running and why you started and what your PBs are at the moment and which ones you're still trying to chase? Uh, yeah, no, the PBs that I've set right now, they're going to be my PBs for life, I'm pretty confident oh, to say. Marathon. Oh, actually, yeah, okay, with the exception of the marathon, with the, with the exception <laughs> of the marathon, I should update that one. Um, yeah, so my, my history in the sport's an interesting one, I guess. Like, I was living in Perth in from, like, 1995 to 2001. I was over there living with – my mum just went on a – she was so it was just me and her, and she's like, mate, like, let's go on a bit of an adventure. So we moved over to Perth, and naturally, like, I just – I love my footy growing up, and uh, – I probably started footy when I was about eight. And when we got over to Perth, I like I was still super passionate about that. And then for whatever reason, I just started to get super obsessed with fitness in like, it must have been about year six or seven. I don't know what it was. I was the only kid at school who gave a crap about fitness or running or anything. And I just started doing more of that. And then um, probably, I was probably about 13 or 14 still playing footy. And the, I just noticed that most of my mates who I was playing with were pretty big units now. Like a lot of them had yeah. shot up and I was still about four foot three and skin and bone but I was I was pretty good at the running side of things and I noticed I was starting to get a little bit scared going too fast into any packs and I was pretty happy just to run along for the outside handball and I thought far out like I, I had plenty of mates who were honest with me as well just going far out like your, your approach to footy's changed and I thought yeah you're probably right and then just through I guess probably being a little bit of a wuss on the footy field and noticing how good I was at running out of game I thought oh I sort of enjoy this. Like I may as well, I may as well start doing a little bit of training. So I actually, um, pretty much with that as my foundation, I just, I randomly entered the state champs over in Perth in, it was, I think it was, the, yeah, it was the year 2000, maybe June or whatever. Across and I reckon. Cross country or track? Yeah, cross country. Yeah. So it was the, the, the state champs, I think it was under 14. I was bottom age and I, I just thought I'd go out and, um, just get smoked a little bit, but it was just a fun competition. And anyway, the gun went off and at about 1500 meters into the 3k race, I was like, I'm sitting in the front pack, like, and I feel really good. Yeah. And uh, I went past, I went past my mum, who was the cheer squad. And she's like, oh, Tosh, you look good. And, and naturally I tried to do the little surge just to impress mum. And, uh, and I just kept on going and kept running away from the field. And I crossed the line. I thought, bloody, like, I had no idea how good I was at, at this sport. And then I came over to Melbourne for nationals Later that year, it's like I think I was still still thirteen, nearly fourteen, yeah. and uh, I finished about fifteenth behind. Did you ever hear of a bloke called Isaac Ali? 
He's a big African dude. He said he was 14, but he looked like he was about 26. And I couldn't believe it. I saw him at the start line of the race, and I was like, mate, this is going to be a good competition. But I saw a few big <laughs> blokes like him in front of me, in front of me, and I thought, okay, if, if it's these blokes that have beaten me, like maybe I've got a little bit of potential in this sport. Is that, that was, the day at Yarra Bend? Yeah. When, like, Troopy and Mona and everyone were competing as well. Oh, that was my first taste of national cross country, and I was just blown away by <laughs> everyone out there it was amazing oh i um for some reason i thought you got into how old are you jess are you 33 yes so we're the same age so for some reason i thought you got involved in athletics a little bit later i didn't realize yeah. you were in that race as well so through school that was my first nationals and i was um a 13 year old still in year seven so i went to nationals like the primary school nationals um so I was in this like under 13 oh sorry 13 year old age group which only had sort of 50 percent of the 13 year olds in Australia because most of them had gone up to senior school by then so Brenton Rowe and I yeah both um had a crack in these sort of I guess lower standard um fields and then when I um went into year eight the following year, that's when I really um, experienced nationals to its full <laughs> capacity. But, yeah, I enjoyed it through school and then kind of after school didn't take running as seriously for a little while. You know, I was always playing a lot of other sports, but I stopped training for a while there um, for running. I Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I was really training for running through school either. I just... Um, stayed fit for my other sports and then added in a few little pine forest runs before nationals and then <laughs> lined up as a nervous wreck because I felt underprepared. <laughs> well, were you training, were you pretty serious about it when I was living in Adelaide? Because I, I don't think I really knew you then. Like I would, I would see your face from time to time in and amongst the, the group, but I can't remember you ever being super serious about, that was in 2006. Yeah, no, I started um, training more in 2008 when Adam started coaching me. I was still uh, trying to make it as a netballer then and just <laughs> not really progressing. <laughs> I was yeah. four foot six as well. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's no good for netball. It's worked out a treat for you in the running department though. Um, I, went on a, I went on a big waffle before and forgot to tell you. So I've run 349 for 1500. Um, eight ten, which I reckon is my best PB for three k, and then I I ran fourteen twenty four something for five k. Um, but I, I I don't think that was one of those races I ever really nailed the five k. I think if I had stayed in the sport a bit longer, I got too excited when um Blitzers got drafted. Yeah, and uh, I thought oh, I'm not that. Cr- say. You had a crack at AFL, didn't you? Well, it was funny because um I. So I was obviously racing Mark for, for, he's a few years younger than me, but when he got, we were always around the same Mark and he was the opposite. He was about six foot seven. He was a massive unit. But when he got drafted by Geelong, I thought, um, far out. Like I've got a history in footy. I wonder if I'm a chance at this. So I, I wrote a letter to all the AFL clubs and I said, Hey, look, this is my story. This is my history. Uh, if you're interested, I, I reckon I go okay at footy. Would you be interested in having a look? And I thought nothing of it. Anyway, one day I was sitting in my lounge room in Melbourne and Paul Ruse called me. Oh and, wow! <laughs> well, you'd know him, wouldn't you? Do you yeah, know him? yeah, I really, um, yeah, respect Ruzi. Yeah, so it was, it was so funny. So he called and he's like, "Hey, mate, I got your letter." And I was sitting there with my mate Jocker, and I was thinking, "I can't believe this is bloody Paul Ruse." Like, I thought anyone, I thought anyone who got that letter would be like, "Mate, this guy's, this guy's a, a bit ahead of himself." And I, I sort of looked at Ruzi as one of the, 
probably the most respected coach, is one of the best coaches in the AFL. Yeah. So when he called it, sort of gave me a little bit of confidence in the fact that maybe there was something there. And he goes, look, uh, he goes, look, I've, I've followed a little bit of Blitz's progress and um, I like what you've got to say about yourself. Uh, do you want to come in and have a have a meeting? And I I walked into the room and it was, I think it was Todd Viney. Yeah. Is it? Um, and there were two other blokes there and I remember just sitting down and I was like, do I, do I play the route that I'm really confident and that I know how I'm going or do I have a bit of a chat? And I was like, mate, just be yourself. Anyway, I went in, had a chat. And I think I was 26 at the time, so they were a little bit like, mate, you're probably – we're looking at a 19-year-old New Zealander um, as an elite-level draft pick at the moment who we're probably more likely to go with than a bloke your age just because, um, you know, what's your, you're not going to have a massive career. And I'd done a little bit of research and saw that Todd Viney had played till he was 35. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I said, well, mate, I said, go on by your standards. I've got nine years up my sleeve. Like, and I'm pretty oh, keen to, <laughs> to play the longer. It didn't, obviously didn't work. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I, I messaged Ruzi after and I was like, mate, I feel like it went well. I said, can you keep me posted? And, um, I, I must have looked a little bit crazy to him. I was just trying to show him I was interested. Anyway, he messaged me back a couple of weeks later. Oh, Todd Viney called back actually and he goes, mate, unfortunately, we're going ahead with the, um, with the other bloke or, or I can't remember if they went ahead with the other bloke or they were just looking at another bloke. But the long story short was we don't want you. <laughs> so, oh, so you didn't get to have a training session with the boys. Nah, unfortunately. Well, uh, I reckon Jack would have been down there at the time. It was 2013 or 14. Yeah. And um, I was thinking <laughs> if I if I get a couple of steps forward, like a little bit ahead of this, I might have to give Jessica and ask her to put in a good word through Jack to give me a little bit of a – a little bit of a run, but yeah. I, well, that was before he got injured. Yeah. It, okay. Is that what sort of threw him off a little bit? Because I remember, um, well, he was he would have been captain around that time as well, wasn't he? Because yeah, so he got drafted in two thousand and nine, and then his foot injury. Uh, well, basically, the reason he could come to Glasgow and watch was because he was in a moon boot. Um, with his injury then. So, I mean, he probably – trying to remember the timing of everything now. But, um, yeah, I think that might have been the year he was captain with Jack. Oh, well, it's pretty cool that you got to have that initial chat with them anyway. It was really – it's just—it's funny. I don't know. It's probably different for you because obviously like your brother playing so much AFL. But when you're a kid, you look up at the AFL boys and it's its a little bit intimidating. Like they're your, they're yeah. your sports heroes. So I still – I remember watching Ruzi play when I was a kid and so it was it was one of those moments where it was super like um I know it was a little bit daunting, a little bit overwhelming. So I was like, Yeah, all right, well let's just leave it where it is and I'll get back to whatever I was doing. And and to be honest, I reckon at that point I just said, Okay, well, I reckon my my competitive sports days for the time being are done. I might go just chase some other dreams and, and do some other stuff, which is um I don't know if you remember, like I, I just it's so funny looking back. And I actually years ago Brady Threffle had a podcast called tell me your tales and i spoke to him a little bit about this but after after all of that i was like okay well like what's something i can achieve which is really cool and i was like well i'll go and try and climb mount everest (laughs) yeah well i remember that too because then you were on the footy show remember it did a full circle (laughs) Uh, yeah that's right i I think football was was where i should have been the whole time just looking at sort of where i just kept getting a foot in the door but i remember i was at a barbecue one night and um I was I was taught because I'd always been interested in the idea of not necessarily climbing Mount Everest, but just going over and doing some mountain climbing and and just seeing what came out of that. And uh, 
But to, because I was brand new to it and I'd never really climbed mountains before, or I'd never cl- like I climbed a couple of big hills, and that was the extent of my my knowledge in mountain climbing. A lot of the companies were hard to get insurance with. Yeah. So essentially, what I had to do was I had to get involved in like a full blown fundraising thing to try and raise the hundred grand to even climb Everest. Like that's for your yeah. insurance, your company, the Sherpas, and everything. It's really expensive. It's like there's a fair bit of profit being pocketed by someone along there. Yeah. Um, so we all, yeah, we organized like a, a big function and tried to get that all, all going. And then, um, but I was trying to figure out how to get media attention and stuff. So people would want to put their brand on me. And yeah. one night I was at a barbecue and my mate who was a, a footy fan said, Oh, do you remember that time when Gary Lyon got carried off on the stretcher? And this is sort of really local Aussie rules football stories, but, uh, there's this, there's this clip that they used to show of him crying, getting carried off on a stretcher. And they just used to bring it up at the most random moments. So my mate said to me, he's like, Oi, why don't you um, why don't you create a video saying, if you get me on your show, uh, help me with some sponsors and stuff like that, I'll take Gary's lowest point, which was that, to the world's highest point. And that was sort of the line that we ran with. Anyway, that that was – I ate my own words because I got, I got so – it wasn't altitude sickness when I was there on like the qualifying trip. It was more like a um, uh, what, what do you call it? It was food poisoning. It was, uh-huh. I got I got poisoned by a bowl of oats, which um, what? yeah, it was so lame. <laughs> like the most innocent uh, meal. <laughs> it was so innocent, Jess. It was it was so embarrassing to to come because Jesse Jesse calls me Princess Stomach because I've just like I go out on a boat and I just get so sick. Or like my my lowest moment was I went out surfing with a group of boys and it was a bit choppy. And I came back into the shore and I was I was really seasick. I was vomiting everywhere. So I already went over there with his reputation of a, of princess stomach. So when I came back and was poisoned by a bowl of oats, it only further entrenched that reputation that I'd, uh, I'd started to develop. Oh, I feel for people who get nausea like that. My sister's someone who, yeah, we went snorkeling, I remember, in um, Bali once and she got seasick just from the the sort of, yeah, I wouldn't even call them waves, <laughs> the motion of the water. It's so true. No, it's a story of my life. So, yeah, after the Everest um, attempt, that's when you got back into running more seriously or, or like, you you started training for a marathon? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I, um, to be honest, after Everest, it was a little bit like, Tice, just chill out, mate. Like, what are you trying to prove? And I think... I think I look back now and I'm like, ah, oh, there's there's maybe a little bit of ego involved because I definitely, in terms of like running and reaching the goals and stuff that I was trying to hit there, I didn't get anywhere near the goals of, of you know, trying to run at the Olympics or I, I was sort of, I had these big dreams and expectations of what that career would look like, especially with so much time and effort that you yeah. have to invest to be good at a sport. It's, um, it was, I, I think I went to a little bit of a crossroads where I probably realized that my natural talent wasn't going to take me to the the level that I wanted to compete at, like, and yeah, I've I've since I reckon I've learned how to just I've learned how to tap into just enjoying running, like just being yeah. able to go out and not be competitive. But six or seven years ago, it was something I probably struggled with a little. It was it was something that I wanted to just be very competitive with on a international scale. And then once I got to that point where it's like it's not going to happen, I thought, well, I don't. I, and whether or not this is a good attitude, I just thought I can't really be bothered putting in all the time and effort that it's taking to run at the level that I'm at. Yeah, and. uh so after Everest, it was a little bit of a, it was just like a little bit of thinking time. I was like, oh, what, what am I going to do? I've spent the last 10 years training so hard with, you know, with this sport. What, yeah. what does all this spare time look like now? Yeah. And so, and that's really what it was. Like it was just, it was a bit of spare time. I was probably enjoying a little bit more time with Jesse and we moved over to London for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the idea of, of getting into running wasn't really on my mind. And even that marathon I did a couple of years ago that um, was was pretty ugly. We uh, it was it wasn't super serious. Like I, I got into it thinking I'll just try and run three hours for the marathon, and um, it, it was never something that I was really trying to yeah be a, be a hero at or anything like that. But um, I think the further I was training with Motram's group and Zach and Newman, who's a champion of a bloke. Yeah, yeah, he was he was sort of well and truly ahead of me, but the fitter I got, the closer to him I got in some of the sessions, yeah. which was still which was still a, a, a fair way back. I'm, I'm not gonna. He might listen to this and go, "Mate, you won't give me that much of a shake." But um, I was still a fair way back. But I, I started to think, "Gee, I'm actually pretty fit." Like, and he goes, "Mate, I reckon you need to up your goal from running a three hour marathon. I reckon you could run two forty five. Good and old I was like, Zach, oh, yeah. do you really? Wow! Like, uh, <laughs> and to hear Zach say that, I thought, "Oh, okay, maybe maybe you know something I don't." So. Like in just one night, I thought, all right, I'll, I'll change my, uh, I'll change my goal from three hours to two forty-five. Anyway, without doing any long runs, and I, I can't believe I'm talking to you about this because you of all people know how much long runs are an essential part of marathon training. I think. Hold I on, did, what was your longest run you did in the lead up? Thirty k. Oh yeah. But it was it was my furthest by about eight k. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this. You're probably always going to uh, find it pretty tough out there. I don't know what I was thinking. It was it was something I knew wouldn't work. But in my head, I was like, "Oh wow, Tash, you're so fit! Like you're so good at this." Wow. Um, so I, I just went into that race and I thought, "All right, let's." I can't remember if I told you this story, but uh, I, I went out in an hour nineteen, and it was just two k's later. I was just in a world of hurt, and I thought, "You know what? Why did I ever put my running shoes back on? Let me just let me just reassess and take a long time away from this sport." <laughs> Uh well, I guess that leads us into fatherhood then, hey? Very new, very fresh. I did listen to your interview with Dylan and he tried <laughs> to use an analogy <laughs> of uh he he likened the cesarean to uh making a sandwich. I think what he was trying to say <laughs> was it was all very um organized and tidy and they followed, you know, a process and he was quite nervous that he'd get queasy, but I think on the day it was all just going so smoothly. But I was like, "Oh, a sandwich deal!" Like we, I, I love it. No, I love it. It's honestly it's a more realistic. It's it's seriously my favourite quote from this podcast. And the more I think about it, because uh, the more I think about it, just the funnier it is. Because what happened? I I heard him, and he's so cool, calm, and collected that. When he explained it to me, I was like, "Yeah, it is just like making a sandwich." Whoa! I can't believe I was making this so much worse. So I, I hung up the call and I said to Jesse, I was like, hey, babe, I'm going to watch you like watch you get this C-section because um, it's just like making a sandwich as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, she's like, well, can you do me a favor? She goes, can you just jump on YouTube and, and watch a cesarean just so you get a bit of an idea of, of what that sandwich making process looks like? And I said, actually, good idea because I'd hate to get into the action and then be like, wow, like I don't know where Dill buys his sandwiches, <laughs> but I'm never going to eat there. And anyway... So uh, I, I watched one, Jess, and I honestly went into it thinking, all right, it's just like it's like some watching someone make a sandwich. And I reckon it was a 20-minute video. I got to about a minute 37, and I was like, this is not for me. I, I, I can't do it. Anyway, but I was still trying to play, play Mr. Cool because I didn't, want, I didn't want Jess to be scared of what she was about to go through. Yeah. So uh, she's like, "Did you watch it?" I was like, "Babe, it's it's nothing." I was like, "It gave me even more confidence to to watch it. I'm fine." Anyway, my plan of attack was because I just lied straight to Jessie's face to try and make her feel better. 
I was going to have a chat to the doctor when we got there just to say in front of Jess, hey, sorry, we just want to be clear that just with everything going on, we, we can't have you around the other end. You have to stay out there with Jessie. And I was going to word her up. Anyway, thank God for whatever reason, she walked into the room and she's like, look, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to come down the, the action end. And I was like, oh, no, how disappointing. Um, okay, I'll just stay up here and, and talk to Jess and keep her company. And uh, I've just never been so relieved. But but that quote by Dill, honestly, it's just I just love it because he's just so much cooler than I am. I would never describe it that way. Yeah, I was. I'd heard stories of um, you know, the action starts and then the partner passes out, and then suddenly some of the medical attention needs to be shifted to the, to them to you know put wet towels on their face or whatever. But um, no, he did he did well. How did you feel about him watching the whole process? Because I was thinking, if I was in your situation, there is no way I'd want someone to see that. Yeah, my issue was that um, when they went to put the um, the needle into my arm, the anaesthetic. I um, sorry, this was just the um, drip. <laughs> they missed it the first time, and it actually caused a bit of pain. So then I nearly passed out. <gasps> and then they tell me to hug a pillow and lean forward so that they can stick a needle in my back. And I was already <laughs> on the verge of like getting black fuzzies, but managed to um, hold it together. And they put that in, and then my legs went numb, and I was lying down and. They start rubbing this antiseptic on your tummy and you can sort of feel the sensation of it. And I just assumed they were still doing that. I could feel all of this sort of movement. And then oh. next minute the anaesthetist says, um, you know, in, in two minutes your, your baby will be born. I was like, what? And Dill sort of looked at me like, yep, it's, it's all happening. <laughs> and because Billy was in breach, which is the same as, as Charlie, right, you see these feet come out and then this bottom and then – the doctor had a bit of well, obstetrician had some trouble sort of getting the rest of him out, so he had to get a bit physical, and then eventually, is yeah, he came out looking pretty stunned, and yeah, I guess that's when I started crying just with happiness. Um, it's it's the best, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> when you it yeah, see that little person. It's such a crazy experience. How how weird is it when they first do take them out? Because Charlie was exactly the same as you just explained, um, Billy, like. You take him out, and he was just—he was just stunned. Like I said to Jesse after, I was like, he looked like he was dead. I sort of got scared for a minute. And yeah, uh, I actually, think um, they're probably pretty comfy in there, and they don't know what's coming. And the next minute, they've got yeah, someone tugging their legs, which you know, a natural delivery. Obviously, the baby's going through a little bit of um, yeah. There's a bit of commotion before they actually enter the world. Whereas. Um, I, th- I think our babies probably were just having a snooze and then next minute they're seeing our faces. <laughs> How did you feel about the whole C-section? Because it was it was really strange, Jess. I'd never I'd, I was born C-section and I just I'd never thought anything of it. And uh Jesse Jessie was like, Oh, I'm really keen to have a natural birth and go through yeah. it all that way. Uh which is which is fine, but I just never really considered it. In my head I was like, Oh, as long as the little guy's out and, and happy and healthy and so are you. I'd however he gets hit, I I couldn't care less about. But it was something that took her a little while to get her head around. She was like, yeah. Oh was that something that, that like you were concerned about Absolutely. or are you pretty happy the whole process? Because it's a question I'd never thought to ask before, but we recently um probably just last week I think it was, had another friend who she was at 40 weeks and they thought the head was the bum, the bum was the head. Long story short, it was he was still upside down. He was in breach. So she had to get a C-section last minute and was saying to Jesse she was a bit disappointed and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'd never thought about the fact that some people might be really adamant on, 
you know, not having one. Yeah. No, I was getting really pumped for, um, you know, delivering <laughs> delivering um, Billy the natural way and sort of thinking uh, I was listening to different podcasts. My, my podcast, um, I don't know, uh, recommendations and top ten or whatever looks very different than to what they do now. <laughs> I was like Australian <laughs> birthing stories. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I even had – sorry, that's Billy um, throwing a few things around in the background there. <laughs> He's fine. Uh, yeah, I had a, a, even subscribed to a hypnobirthing course. I was learning different relaxation techniques and reading some books, and I was really interested to see how it would compare to a marathon and whether I'd be able to use some of those sort of strategies uh, when, when it started to – yeah, really hurt and um, see whether they were effective. So that was up until about 27 weeks and that's when I found out Billy was in breach and I still thought he'd, he'll probably flip. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, I guess I had quite a long time to get my head around it but I certainly can relate to how Jesse felt. You sort of have this idea of, you know, you're going to go through this experience where, maybe your waters break or, you know, you, you're going into labour and then there's that excitement and then the crazy drive to the hospital and then obviously the the discomfort that you learn about and it's just this complete mystery and you're kind of intrigued to know what it all feels like. But, yeah, as, yeah. as long as they're safe in the end, as you say, I um, by the end of it was – was comfortable that we were having a C-section and Dylan and I went out for a meal the night beforehand and said tomorrow we're going to have a baby. Such <laughs> and, a crazy uh, thought. Yeah, I um, sort of the morning of, I hadn't had much sleep. I woke up, I don't know what Jesse was like, but I was just agitated. I was running around the house like vacuuming and Dylan took a video <laughs> of me just with like washing basket in, under one arm, vacuum in the other. He's like, she's going crazy. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's actually pretty funny. I would say I reckon the morning of I was actually amazed at how chilled Jessie was, but in the lead up, uh, I've never seen her. She's pretty clean at the best of times. I've never seen her clean so hard. She's like, babe, shut up, leave me alone. I'm nesting. I was like, you've cleaned the stove today. Like, what are you What are you doing that again for? She said, no, no, I just, I, honestly, I just want to get this place right. And um, yeah, it, it is really funny just to, to watch the, the different dynamics that you guys go through because it must be... It's weird. I, I've been joking with um, Jesse saying I'm never buying my dad another Father's Day present, like after I've seen how easy it really is. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, anyway, which is obviously untrue. I've had I had about two sleepless nights getting up to him. And I was like, all right, you get all the Father's Day presents you want. I didn't realize the pain, but um, <laughs> it is it is a really interesting dynamic. How how was um actually before I was asking you that I was going to say it's funny the your story has been super inspirational to Jesse because I remember you saying in one of the chats that we had that um, you had like, was it three fingers or three centimetre gap in between your abs after he was born? Yeah, yeah, I remember. So the physio typically comes in and checks you out. And, um, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised because I'd sort of felt that point during my pregnancy where suddenly, yeah, it just seems like there'd been some pretty significant separation. So it's, it's a little bit daunting, particularly when you want to get back into <laughs> sport, knowing that, yeah, there's basically a three-finger um, width gap there where you just your your insides are kind of just sitting under your skin almost. <laughs> so it takes a bit of work to get that back. <laughs> so is that back to? Does that go back to normal? Like are your abs back to normal now? 
Um, there's still a bit more of a gap there than there was prior to pregnancy, but it's it's functional as long as, long as it does does its job and like I can run without any um, issues like weakness or anything. So I think in the first two months after uh, giving birth, there's a, a point where you can sort of bring that gap back together. Your soft tissues are all still a bit um, lax. And then I think after about eight weeks, this is what I learned in a physio course anyway, things harden up again. So that linear alba, the tissue between your kind of rectus, your six-pack muscles um, hardens and it's a bit harder to, to bring it back together after that point. Yeah, that would be the same spot that my eight-pack's in, like the six-pack. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, now that makes sense. It's been interesting watching Jessie just get back into She's just doing lots of walking at the moment. I say lots, like the last probably – so it's a month tomorrow that Charlie was born and I reckon the last three days she's been busting out quite a few walks and her energy level started to shoot back up. But um, what do they say? It's sort of a six-week recovery process. And were you running after six weeks? Uh, so I started out by doing a fair bit of walking and then got into elliptical training. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me that, actually. I think by six weeks, I was starting to do some little jogs. And then by eight weeks, um, I'd seen the women's health physio and sort of got the tick of approval and could start some more formal um, progression back into running at that point yeah yeah okay and how's it all going now i actually i had some people message me the other day saying hey i'm really excited to find out about your form are you yeah, it's, it's been um, weird because it hasn't been a lot of races of oh south australia you've had a few haven't you we've had a few yeah we've been fortunate here it's funny so i mean they talk about the sleep deprivation and whatnot when you bring a baby into the world and for the first few months i was like oh it's not a big deal you know i was waking up a couple of times but was feeling fine and uh, the hardest part was probably just getting the training done and finding babysitters and whatnot to actually get out the door and run. And then I was gearing up towards the Hamburg Marathon in late April, but by kind of March we knew that that wasn't going to be happening. And soon after that is when Billy hit four months, which I learnt is when they typically go through a sleep regression. So that definitely um happened (laughs) and suddenly we were getting less and less sleep and I remember at the point when I would have been racing in Germany (laughs) we'd been up every like hour and a half or something like that right on cue right on cue yeah racing a marathon off that much sleep but um been really fun actually getting back into running with like a new a new benchmark I was I'm not comparing to what I was what the times I could hit in training and whatnot beforehand. I just sort of cleared slate, started again, and uh, I've really enjoyed the progression and I probably feel stronger in some areas than I did beforehand and certainly my perspective's changed a bit. And I think I was starting to put a lot of pressure on myself before getting pregnant and having Billy because I was always comparing to my myself when I was in PB form and um, – it's just been, I guess, a, a different mindset and I think that's helped me. So some sessions um, I think I'm definitely probably stronger than beforehand because I've got Caitlin and Izzy there to push me along as well. I typically always just trained with the with the guys beforehand and then while I was pregnant um, and away um, after giving birth, this sort of really strong girl group 
formed in Team Tempo and I sort of stepped into that and they've really, uh, yeah, challenged me in a great way. <laughs> I'm yeah. uh, chasing them as, as hard as I can and that can only be positive. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's funny you say that actually because I've, like I know we've sort of lived in different states for pretty much as long as I've known you, but I feel like I know you relatively well just through, um, you know, chats we've had. And obviously I think it was but maybe both of our first international trip was 2010 when we went to Kingston. Can- yeah, was that your first? Uh, I'd been to the primary schools one, oh, yeah. but not – yeah, that was the first uni uni games. That was great fun. Oh, first senior trip. Yeah, well, it was, it was cool because uh, I remember seeing you doing your drawing and stuff on that trip. You sent it to me the other day. It was funny because <laughs> I remember – I actually remember like on part of that drawing, which I'll, I'll have to maybe attach so people know what I'm talking about. You had a photo of – I think it was you laying down at – I can't remember which airport we were at, but remember we were looking outside – and our flight had been delayed, and we're like, "Why the heck has our flight been delayed?" Anyway, we look outside, and the clouds are just black, and like there's yeah. lightning and thunder. And uh, I reckon the bloke in that plane never took his hand off the throttle that whole that whole flight. But it was so interesting just looking back and having like little memories sparked, like the photo of me with the the garlic and echinacea tablets. I don't even know what yeah. that was about, but I remember I remember buying them, and and you. And people being like, what the heck's that for? Was it my, maybe my sinuses were playing up or something. But in true Tyson fashion, I've just gone on a random rabbit hole to say, I can't believe it's been 10 years since that. It's crazy how long I've sort of known you for. But I was getting to a question about, I wanted to know, because you were mentioning that before Billy came along, you felt like you were putting a little bit of pressure on yourself to reach previous performances and stuff like that. And it sort of surprises me because it, as long as I've known you, you, you really strike me as a super chilled person that it's, it's an, a side of you that probably a lot of people wouldn't really know about apart from those who are really close to you. Like, do you want to just go into that a bit? Because I know it's such a competitive sport and there'd be plenty of people who look up to you and go, fire out, like, how, how does she navigate that? Because she just doesn't seem like the kind of person who would ever have to face that. Yeah, well, look, I think going into 2018, it was a huge, I guess, preparation uh, for the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast and, I was really happy with my training block leading up to that race and then there was obviously the race and the conditions on the day probably weren't conducive to the fastest time. So I was thinking, okay, well, I really want to try and target another marathon where I can just go for it and see what time I can get, um, you know, as a reward for that training. So that's why I targeted the, the Gold Coast Marathon in July, which was quite a quick turnaround and then I ended up also <laughs> sorry, Billy's just having his say there. <laughs> then uh decided to run a marathon later that year and I think I just physically and mentally was feeling pretty exhausted. And the Toronto Marathon showed me that I didn't have to be probably hitting all of the times in training I thought I needed to to get a a race result that I was happy with because, you know, we were living in Europe at that time um, for a couple of months and I was getting the work done but there was nothing too flash about it and then when I got to Toronto and and ran that PB, I realised that just the years of training, I guess, uh, you know, stand for a lot. You don't have to be hitting PB sessions every week to, to get a PB race result. So I think... There was that element of feeling like I needed to be 
you know, training out of my skin to get a good result, then realising with that Toronto race that that wasn't so much the case, but also just feeling physically and and mentally exhausted from, oh, I was a really intense year of training. So I think having that time off during pregnancy from running, I was still training. I was was cross-training throughout. Uh, just gave me a bit of a, a break too and, and made me fresher when I returned to running uh, in early sort of 2020. So the advice I would give to people who are putting pressure on themselves, comparing is I guess to realise how important those layers of training really are and, and it's about actually stepping up when it counts and and keeping a healthy body and having a strong mind and, and that's, I guess, a lot more important than hitting amazing sessions every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. What I was, um, I think I'm sort of dancing back here. I think I've hijacked the interview, but, um, <clears throat> but it's so it's so interesting just hearing you share these stories because uh, it's funny. Like even though I feel like I know you pretty well, there's still a heap towards your your sort of psychology that I reckon just be invaluable to to hear for so many listeners. But the the other thing that I reckon a lot of people are interested in when it it comes to you and Billy and your running and stuff is. Like on a on a personal level, how did how did you and Dill cope with the big change when you introduced little Billy into the family? Was it? I'm always interested to know how the dynamic changes relationships and like the little highs and lows that you go through and the sleep deprivation how it can make you. I can make me a bitch. I don't know about you, but um, it's just it's interesting just to to see how different people juggle the new challenge of parenthood. I think the biggest thing is acknowledging that sleep deprivation turns you it changes your mood. So. If we're ever a bit snappy, just by sort of saying, okay, we're tired and just you've got to push your pride aside sometimes and say, look, I know, sorry, that was a bit probably out of line. I'm just tired. And once we acknowledge it, it makes it okay. We realise neither of us are trying to be a bad person. We're just (laughs) our eyeballs are hanging out of our heads. And I think too really teamwork is such a big part of it. So when, say, Dill comes home from work and and then he's excited to see Billy and then I race out the door for my second training session and, you know, just delegating and not um, tiptoeing around things, just saying, hey, can you please unload the dishwasher or can you please put Billy in his onesie? And um, I think for Dylan, he's so excited to to see Billy when he gets home from work. As long as he's hanging out with him, he's <laughs> he's happy. So it's changed our relationship in that we're just a lot more forward with each other now. We don't sort of hint things. We just say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. I don't even have to be tired in my relationship to be an asshole sometimes. Sometimes I can just go, oh, my God, babe, I don't know where that came from. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so it's only scarier when you introduce a little bit of sleep deprivation. Um, yeah, no, it is It is funny. I was thinking to myself at like 3 a.m. the other day, it's no wonder uh, it's no wonder you can get so narky because I was sitting on the bed trying to um, give him, give little Charlie the bottle, and I was thinking, mate, like it would take barely anything to fire me up right now. Thank God Jesse was just <laughs> sleeping so soundly because I reckon, like any other little um, noise, would have just fired me right up. So I'm going to have to learn real quick that um, sleep deprivation is going to be a, a real problem. If I, I've been having so many afternoon naps, Jess, it's so embarrassing. I look like I've been having so many little <laughs> nana naps. But it's like the it's the thing oh, that just keeps me up great. and about. 
Hey, um, I, I didn't find out how long you wanted to talk for, Jess. So if, if you've got to go, feel free to say it. But I, I could just keep talking to you for ages. So uh, I just don't know if you've got any second runs or whatever. But I hate the feeling. I always get 50 minutes in and I'm like, oh, crap. Like, was she thinking 30 minutes? Was she thinking an hour? Like, you just let me know. No, we didn't really come up with a time frame. I don't have a second run today because I'm racing a little half marathon on the weekend. So the Adelaide... Uh, marathon festivals going ahead which is pretty exciting so this is my take a week oh sweet that's good so have you got some um have you got some idea of what you would like to try and hit for the half marathon well after our state 10k road champs in uh, what were they mid-july i took a couple of weeks off um of sessions and just enjoyed some lighter jogging i just was feeling a bit I guess depleted um, from all of the the training and um, you know just motherhood and, and breastfeeding and all of those things. So I thought I'll give my um, body a little bit of a break here, an opportunity to recharge, and um, ended up just really gradually easing back into training over the next four weeks. So I only would say I started hitting sessions more seriously about three three weeks ago and uh, my mileage is still fairly um, low compared to usual. So we'll see how it goes. Like I'm feeling, um, I'm really excited and I'm feeling like I'll be ready to go out there and, and give it a red hot go, but it could, uh, <laughs> it could hurt in the back half. But uh, I think just being able to race is, I don't know, it's, it's pretty exciting now given everything that's happened and, um, Every race opportunity is one worth worth taking while we can. Yeah, that's awesome. So, have you got a few of the guys from Team Tempo heading out? Because I know I know Clarky and um, I know he's in great form. How's How's Maxi Stevens? And I, I had Riley on here the other day. Did you already? Did you? Oh, you heard that one, didn't you? Because I was yeah, being yeah, an idiot yeah. at so the start Riley with the running dad and his brother Jacob. Yeah, sweet, sweet. Yeah. So, what kind of and what kind of form are those boys in? They going all right? Yeah. No, I think. Um, Jacob's been really happy with with the season he's had and, and Riley's strung together some really good months of training as well. So I'll be excited to see what they can do. And uh, the other boys are not racing. They've sort of just had a jog week and then they'll um, build up for the, the summer track season. So it's just uh, Jacob and Riley out there on, on Sunday. So it's going to be a unique race. I think they're sending everyone off in um, – uh, in 10 second bouts so there'll be a few shoots and like one runner in each shoot I think so three people go at the same time and then they blow a whistle 10 seconds later and the next three go so oh wow it's gonna be a long-winded start oh, yeah well you'd want to be in the elite pack wouldn't you <laughs> yeah. Just so you... Start an hour later as the elite <laughs> yeah, well, sorry the first runners are coming back through yeah where's that one just in the city yeah yeah awesome in front of Adelaide really... Oval Oh, that'd be great. Oh, Ad- by the way, yeah, Adelaide Oval looks unreal. I haven't seen a heap of it, but uh, like whenever the footy's on Adelaide Oval, you guys have you guys have done a great job over there, I reckon. Yeah. No, I I do love Adelaide Oval. It's really pretty to fly over it as well when you're landing in the Adelaide Airport. Yeah. Well, I reckon I'll probably put this episode out next Monday, so uh, I'll be interested to see how the results go. But it's it's just nice that you guys can get out and have a race because I was saying to who was I talking to. I was talking to someone yesterday. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Dave McNeil, actually. I might have been talking to him the other day, and I was saying that um, it's 
get like for Aussie athletes, it's pretty difficult little situation to be in because unless you're doing your time trials or unless you're like a Stewie McSwain competing over in, you know, your diamond leagues or whatever, there's, there's not as, not a whole heap of running races going on. So it's so nice to see that a few of them are starting to get back up and get back up and running. Cause it's, uh, man, I reckon distance runners must've been so frustrated the last couple of months trying to navigate their way through this weird little phase. Yeah, no, for sure. I've really enjoyed keeping tabs on the European meets. It's just been refreshing to have some results coming through again. Yeah, hasn't it? Who have you been following? It's been it's I reckon uh, I reckon Big Stewie's up for a, a massive fifteen hundred real soon. Yeah, oh for sure. And Jess Howell, I've loved watching oh. her results. Do you and, know Jess? Uh we went to World Cross together in twenty fifteen in Guyane. Yeah, okay. So that's I got to know Jess. Because like she she first shot onto my horizon, I reckon. I think it was only at the the Victorian five k champs. Was it earlier this year or last year? Yeah. And she just she just dominated like a really high quality field. I, I remember yeah. Jen Gregson was in the field, and um, yeah. I was a like, who is this chick? Oh, so smooth. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. But I didn't know she had so much speed in her legs as well because she's just taken the Aussie record as well for 15, hasn't she, as well yeah, as the five. Yeah, the double. Benita just got in on time because she came on the podcast and I posted it saying um, national record from 5K through to the marathon. <laughs> so I could still have that up without being a liar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I enjoyed listening to your chat with Benita. She's amazing. I actually just um, found out yesterday that it was – or two days ago, it was – exactly 20 years uh, since her 5K race at the Sydney Olympics, which is when I got my Olympic ticket signed by her and she became my sporting idol. So when you were talking earlier about being starstruck by the, the footballers and Rusey, I remember meeting Benita for the first time and just, uh, yeah, I didn't know what to say. I was speechless. I was so starstruck. Uh, so that was a pretty cool little flashback. Isn't that funny? Do you still find that with any athletes now? Like uh, on on the Australian circuit, I imagine not because you probably know them all. But when you get over to the the big stage, like do you do you meet anyone anymore? Where you're like, oh, I can't believe that's blah blah. Oh, I got a bit awkward in the lift with uh, Usain Bolt at the 2017 World Champs. I just, it was the whole sort of Jamaican relay team, and I just I, you know how lifts are awkward at the best of times. I didn't know where to stand or whether to acknowledge anyone or just. Yeah. What did I don't you do? Think I did very well. What did, did you say anything? <laughs> uh, well, they were just chatting away, so I I just tried to pretend I wasn't listening, but it was all funny chat. I remember having little chuckles to myself and I I thought it was safer probably to say nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, good option. My first thought when you said that was asking whether they're for the the um the bobsled team, but that just shows I've watched too much cool runnings. <laughs> <laughs> That would that's a good one. That's an awkward one to find yourself in. Um, yeah, but Benita's Benita's a gun. I'd never really spoken to her that much before. I'd actually I'd, I've met her a few times over here, but I don't I don't think she would, would have remembered who I was just because you know what I mean. When you're at a meet and there's a hundred people around, if you're if you've got a bit of a name for yourself, obviously a young bloke like me at the time looking up and being like, oh, it's Benita Willis. Um, yeah, but she she was awesome. Like she's so easy to talk to, and I remember. Just halfway through the podcast, just thinking, mate, this is the this is the easiest podcast in the world because you just she's super friendly and happy to chat and super yeah. open and obviously got she's the not, the times yeah, behind. Yes, one her. of those athletes too who will say if you ever have any questions or want to chat, just give me a call. You know, she offers so much of her time and I guess her experience to to other runners. It's mm-hmm. it's incredible. 
Yeah, no, awesome, Jess. I feel bad for you because you've done so well this whole chat, nursing little Billy, getting whacked in the head with a potato masher. What's he now? He's playing dentist in your mouth as you talk, which is the last <laughs> thing you want for a podcast. <laughs> Billy, you're well, a champion. Thank you for having us and send our love to Jesse and Charlie. Yeah, we look forward to being able to meet in person one day. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait to get back over there and we'll uh, we'll line up a run and a catch up because uh, these these little Skype dates are fun, but but nowhere near as much fun as, as catching up in person, hey? Yeah. No, awesome. Well, uh-huh. good luck this weekend. Thank you. Yeah, I can't yeah, wait to see well, you. Yeah, we'll catch up for a chat with Riley sometime. Oh, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Wait, well. That- that's what I was thinking the other day when I when I sent that message to you saying, "Hey, come on as much as you want." I don't want you to ever feel pressured, but I'm thinking it's just like an open invite. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because I, I, it's fun to have some regulars on and, and just talk running. But it's also nice when you've got someone that's that's a mate. It's just a bit more relaxed and not so interviewy. I'll shoot you a message in the next couple of weeks, and, and if you want to do that, we'll we'll line it up. Sounds great. All right, Jess. Um, I'll see you soon. Thanks again. See you, Billy I hope boy. The quality was okay.